Hello, you're listening to season two of Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is all about the question, what does it mean to live a life driven by curiosity, creativity, and love over fear? Each week, you can tune in to hear me discussing various topics related to this question with leaders, artists, and entrepreneurs who are each living out this pursuit in their own unique ways. When you've finished listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast, leave a comment, and tell a friend. You can find all the show notes over at dinaadrians.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I am here today with my friend Rebecca, who, gosh, uh, let's see, Rebecca and I met in grad school in New York in what, 2011, maybe? Um, 2011, 2012. Rebecca is a social worker, drama therapist, and trainer slash educator. And she is one of those people who literally never stops her education. <laughs> um, <laughs> she could grief. Okay. So like when I met Rebecca, <laughs> uh, she already had, I, yeah, I'm going there. Uh, she already had what? So when you, when you and I met each other, you already had a BFA, right? Uh, BM music. So you had a bachelor's of music. Did you have any other degrees at that point? No, I just had like 900 fitness certification. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Fitness certifications. Okay, cool. So there's that whole part of right, your education. There's a whole time. Um, and then we met because we were studying for our master's in educational theater together. And then Rebecca went on to get her master's in social work <laughs> and also studied drama therapy. You're still, are you still working in your drama therapy certification or is that complete? I am still working on my RDT. RDT. Yes. So it's a registered drama therapist. And so I'm still in the process of working on that. So in some ways, I'm glad you asked that because I just wanted to be clear to everyone that although I do practice drama therapy in my work, I am still a student of that method. And I really, mm. you know, I don't want to go around being like, oh, I'm like a master, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Still learning. Ever continuing <laughs> education. Always. Uh, <laughs> and Someday, eventually in the future, Rebecca is going to get a PhD. <laughs> um, so <laughs> continual education, lifetime learning. Let me see. So, okay, I'm actually going to read some of your official bio. Oh, <laughs> um, so let's see. Rebecca is a mental health therapist specializing in working with adolescents and adults with trauma of all kinds. A former singer and actor. Also, side note, I'd have a video of Rebecca singing a year ago at her wedding, like a badass. Oh, wow. I forgot that. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty phenomenal. Um, Rebecca found her way to drama therapy through her first degree in drama education, which we did together, like I said, when she's not pretending to be an anaconda or a ninja like you do. <laughs> Rebecca enjoys weightlifting, yoga, and hanging out with her puppies and birds. Someday she's going to get a PhD to study trauma and play. And also someday she'll go back to writing short plays. But until then, she'll keep building spaceships while being forced to finish her math homework for pretend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is actually part of her official bio. Yes. Tell, tell me about these spaceships and <laughs> math homework. Rebecca. Well, I was 
It just is one of my favorite groups that I did uh, where I was working with a group of young people and uh, the group was sort of divided in terms of needing my attention. And so I was actually attempting to play two different tasks at the same time. And so Mm -hmm. one group of young people, uh, for them, it was, we were really playing with themes around power and control and parenting. And so they were forcing me to do my math homework. They were very <laughs> upset with child Rebecca and because I wasn't doing a very good job of my math homework. And the other group were really interested in playing with themes of exploration and travel and getting to go wherever you want and do whatever you want at any time. And so I was with them. I was packing up a spaceship and I was preparing to go to the moon. And so I found myself attempting to do both of those tasks at the same time. So I was... I was trying to create my spaceship. They kept throwing snacks at me because they were like, it's going to be a really long journey. I appreciated how thoughtful they were about that. (laughs) Great, it's true. And so they're throwing snacks at me and I was also trying to do my math homework and I'm getting yelled at because I'm doing such a terrible job at my math homework. And I was like, but don't you understand? Like, I'm really trying to get the spaceship ready because I have to go to the moon. It was a very fun time. <laughs> that sounds great. So wait. So when you're working with your clients, you are actually taking part in the dramatic play. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. The drama does not exist without me. So in the in the work that I'm doing, I am the So I use a form of drama therapy called developmental transformations. <clears throat> Excuse me, developmental transformations and one of the biggest tenets of developmental transformations, or we shorten it to be DVT. I just like to clarify Mm -hmm. that that's not DBT, which stands for dialectical behavioral therapy, which is really effective, but also a lot more boring um, than (laughs) so I, um, one of the biggest tenets of DVT is that the leader, the group leader is the play object of the group. And so I am the thing that they are playing with. I am the thing that they are transforming. And so uh, the group, the, the play could not exist. If I, if I didn't play with them, then no play mm. would happen at all. So I'm kind of the driver cool. of the play and that's my job. Interesting. So for a little bit of context, um, let's back up for a moment. Um, I know I gave your, your bio, mm-hmm. but if you could describe for us a little bit about like, what you do. Well, I mean, I guess you do a couple different things. <laughs> you have your primary job and then I know you're you're also doing a few other things. So if you could tell us a little bit more about like what is your primary job as well as, you know, the other things that you're doing outside of your primary job just for some context. Cool. Yeah. So my primary job I am as my as my bio states, I'm a mental health therapist. And um I so Mostly I do individual group and milieu work with adolescents who are all male identifying, although not necessarily all male bodied, and they are in the custody of the state. So most of the young people I work with are in foster care between the ages of 12 and 19. That's kind of my, my population, although we have other different ages in our organization, but 12 to 19, those are my kiddos. And, um, I have a couple young people who are in the custody of the Oregon Youth Authority, aka the correction systems, so juvenile justice. But that's not 
the primary focus of the program that I work for. I work for an organization called Youth Progress um, here in Portland, Oregon. So I'm like to anyone listening, if you're interested in being a foster parent, please contact us. It's unbelievably rewarding and we have a desperate need because Oregon, Oregon actually, fun fact, has the highest number of homeless youth in the nation. Wow. Not fun, but it makes the work that I do really important. So that's what I do Monday through Friday. When I'm not doing that, I've been working on building a private practice. So I have found my passion to really be working with young people with trauma. And it sounds crazy to love trauma as much as I do, but I love it. I love working with clients who have experienced really, really, really terrible things. And I'm working on building a private practice around helping clients who have experienced all of these terrible things get a little bit more comfortable in their own life and to make it feel easier to exist in themselves. Mm -hmm. Actually existing in your body is really hard when you've had trauma. It's hard anyway, but definitely when you've had trauma, super challenging. And so I want to help ease that burden a little bit. And so the name of my private practice is called Therapy Altered. And it's really the primary focus of this is to alter the way that we typically understand what therapy is and looks like. So I'm not interested in using a lot of talk therapy. I'm much more interested in embodied play and seeing like, how can we kind of dislodge some of these things that are living and existing in our body? So that's one thing I'm working on. I'm also working on a podcast, which is called Say More About That. And um, hopefully we'll be published. I'll be published here uh, in maybe a couple weeks, maybe a little bit longer, but hopefully I'll be getting myself ready to go. But the whole purpose of Say More About That is to demystify mental health and Mm. to talk about how can we understand ourselves without, if you don't have resources, like let's be real therapy is really expensive and it can be cost prohibitive. Even if you have insurance, sometimes your insurance doesn't cover it, you know, whatever the case may be. And I believe that being healthy, specifically mental health is for everyone. I also don't necessarily understand the silence that we hold in this country about mental illness. We talk about mental illness as though it is dangerous or shameful or bad in some way, even that it's intentional. Like we blame the person who's experiencing it, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because we wouldn't do those things. If someone walked around with a broken arm, we would be really horrified and we'd be really worried about them. And we'd, we'd want to say, Oh no, you need to take care of that. Your arm is broken. Like, Hey, that seems like it's probably getting in the way of your regular everyday life. Like it must be hard to live with a broken arm and it sounds like it's really painful. So you should do something about that, but we don't do the same thing about mental illness. And so the purpose of my podcasting more about that is to demystify um, and create more access to mental health care. And so I just want to talk about all the ways that people can understand themselves. I don't want to be people's therapists, but I want to give people who don't have access to a therapist more options. So that's Mm. that thing that I'm working on. I've also got a blog under the same name that I'm starting to build again, all with the attention of just talking about what is mental illness and how can we like take control of what's happening to us. I also have a separate, separate part-time job, which is really silly, but it's actually my self-care. It's how I relax. And I work at a store called Bird Hut and they sell exotic parrots. And so I spend all day Saturday and Sunday essentially like talking to critters that talk back, which I feel like might also (laughs) tell you something about my mental health. (laughs) I'm like, I'm revealing parts of myself you can see. (laughs) So So you're actually working seven days a week right now. Yes, I am working seven days a week. But the Saturday and Sunday gig, it doesn't feel like work. It's so fun. 
it's so fun and silly and it's the complete opposite. It's funny when I started working there, people were like, okay, well, you know, sometimes we can get customers who are a little disgruntled and I'm like, okay, I can assure you, like I have had 15 year old boys like scream in my face. Like I have been threatened. There was a time when I thought someone was going to stab my eye out. It's totally fine. He was fine. Everything's okay. I wasn't mad at him. He was having a hard time, but you know, I go through a lot during my Monday through Friday job. Yeah. So I was like, y'all, let me assure you, <laughs> someone being a little annoyed, there was a line, not a problem. <laughs> These are problems we can handle. <laughs> yeah. I was like, we're totally fine. I can a hundred percent like talk someone off a ledge. Like it's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about self-care and creativity. Uh, when you think about those two, well, not two words, three words, what does that bring to mind for you? Well, I think that being creative and staying creative is a huge part of self-care. It's something that I'm not great at, but I'm always getting better. Self-care is hugely important, especially in this line of work to prevent like burnout, vicarious trauma, like really therapists can go through really terrible mental things just from hearing things that other people are talking about, which then I feel like should also kind of led us into like, oh, people have a people have had a lot of really bad experiences if therapists can get trauma from listening to other people's experiences. But it can happen. And so I'm always thinking about how I can be involved in more self-care every day. And I think being creative in my work is part of my self-care because mm-hmm. I'm playing with things that are scary and I'm figuring out how I can play with those things. And so that helps to like lessen my own experiences of my client's trauma. So there's that. Then also, you know, when I'm not at work, uh, I think for me, self-care is really starting to look a lot like visual art lately, which is fascinating for anyone who knows me because I am awful at visual art. I am the worst, like hundred percent without question. Um, but I'm really into drawing mandalas badly. I'm badly drawing them, but I'm drawing them. And I've been enjoying coloring. I've been get kind of getting into watercolors and just sort of like getting out these abstract images and feelings onto a page. Mm. And then um, I've also been singing a lot more, which I have like a whole story about like, I lost my voice and then I found it and like, it was a big thing. And so singing for me is like really, it's a really big deal and it's also really emotional for me. And I've also been playing the piano more recently. So all of these things are things that I'm just doing like in my own house or in my shower. Like I don't, (laughs) I don't necessarily (laughs) want to, you know, be putting it out in the world because that feels like work. I don't really want more work because I have a lot of work. But me, like when I think about creativity and self-care, I think they're really deeply connected. Mm. Mm. So, okay. To ask the obvious question, you're (laughs) working seven days a week plus you're also building a private practice and you're starting a podcast and a blog and doing all the things. So, you know, you talk about like making time to sing and, you know, doing the painting and whatever. Where do you find time for all of these things? Well, (laughs) that's a great question. And the first thing that I, you know, the place that I'm finding time is that uh, the the eve my evenings when I get home so I'm done work anywhere between four thirty and five thirty although if there's a crisis then you know I'm done work whenever I'm done work 
So it's really an evening after work thing. I'm really focused on not making perfect be the enemy of good. Mm. That's something that's really important to me because I have a tendency towards being a perfectionist. And I've found that that can really get in the way of me doing the things that I love because I'm like, oh, well, if I don't do yoga for a full hour, then I can't practice yoga, which is ridiculous, by the way. What a <laughs> silly thing. Like I could just do downward facing dog for five minutes and like, yay, we did it. Like if it makes me feel better, like really, (laughs) it's just such a silly thing, you know, but in terms of drawing mandalas, I mean, I maybe do that activity 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be this all consuming thing. And I also am giving my permit myself permission to do it really badly, which before I never would have allowed to happen. Mm. I would have been like, yes. you have to learn how to do this and you have to be really good at it. Otherwise you don't deserve to draw mandalas, which is absurd because no one is going to see them. At least I hope not because they're awful and like, <laughs> that's okay because they're just for me. It just makes me feel better to move my hand and to produce something yeah. on a paper. And so yeah. that I think, you know, it's something I'm really learning from my children actually, because they sometimes they get in their own way and other times you just see them really freely output into the world like they just share things they share pieces of themselves they Mm. just make stuff and then they destroy it and tear it down and they'll make it again Mm. and I also beautiful right and they're beautiful they're magical beings I love them um and so I'm trying to use that energy to allow myself, like I'm going to make things and then I can tear it down and I can do it again. And there's no loss, like that nothing bad has happened. It's not, um, you know, it's not like I'm not going through a breakup. Like it's just that I like (laughs) moved to a different page and started a new mandala. I'm like, that's okay. I also, okay. So this is going to be, I just feel like sometimes I really hate the people who do this. It's going to be really terrible, but I'm going to do it. Uh, I found this unbelievable like quote. Okay. I don't know. It's like a list and I'm obsessed with it. So here it is. It's from Ben Bergeron. You should follow him on Instagram. He is really motivational. Uh, a week has 168 hours, 56 hours to sleep, 40 hours to work, 10 hours to eat, eight hours to do chores, eight hours to shower and do bathroom things, six hours of commuting. That leaves 40 hours. What will you do with your second 40-hour work week? Wow. I know. And, <laughs> you know, totally you could be like, oh, I don't sleep that much. Or you could say, I work 50 hours a week. Or, you know what I mean? You can adjust yeah. the numbers however you want. But I just really thought about, oh, my goodness, how many spare hours are there in a week that I'm pretending don't, don't exist. exist for me, you know? Yeah. And so when I think about that, I'm like, you know, for me, I don't want to be one of those people that's telling all the people listening, like, oh, just do more. Because I feel like as a population, we are really focused on more. We're really focused on doing. We're really focused on being active. We're really focused on shooting all over ourselves. And that's should, S-H-O-U-L-D. Like, we should all over ourselves all the time. (laughs) Um. And so I don't want to be the, one of those people of like, you have another 40 hour work week, start a business. Like, no, but for me, what that really gives me permission to do is spend 30 minutes making a watercolor 
or it helps me to sit down at my piano for 30 minutes and just play and sing because I'm Mm. reminded there is actually time and I don't have to be like, Oh gosh, like I don't have time for this because I have to like, like I can let myself be a little bit more free to build something and then tear it down again. I'm not creating monuments in my life about like this, this like thing that I have to make, this is a monument. It's a testament to myself. And I'm like, no, I have 30 minutes to just sit around and do something silly that makes me feel better. So before we started the official interview, you and I were chatting and you talked about being creative when creativity is hard. Mm -hmm. Can, Can you talk about that for a bit? Well, I think that one of the things often that artists, however you define yourself as an artist, that artists run into is what do I do when it's hard? How do I create when it's, when it's not flowing, when it's not just coming to me, when whatever. And um, one of the things that I always said as an educator and a thing that I still say to myself now as a therapist is that creativity isn't like a gift or inspiration, it's a practice. And Mm. that you have to keep, it's a skill. It's a thing that you have to develop. Uh, When I was teaching playwriting, I would teach these trees, these character trees, where I would, you know, basically the line, like the spaces that I would draw would form in the shape of a an evergreen, like a fir tree. And so that was, it was a tree. Um, And so I would just be like, um, is this character male or female or non-binary? Is this character, how old is this character? Is this character, uh, what does this character look like? What are three things this character likes to do in their life? What is this character's occupation? And then at the bottom, we would, at the bottom, like the trunk of the tree, we would name the character. And I would make students do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because the first time you do it, you're like, ah, uh, it's a you know, it's a 40 year old mailman who likes writing poetry. But once you get to the hundredth character tree, maybe you're like, this is a 97 year old non-binary individual named Sal, who, um, when he was a child, used to run a pizza parlor, but that developed a passion for uh, cross-country skiing when he turned 40. And then he <laughs> found his way to the Olympics, but unfortunately, he was too old to compete on the American team. And so instead, he moved to uh, Sweden and completely changed his whole life and his nationality so that he could compete in cross-country skiing. Like, you know what I'm saying? That the more you do it, the more you make yourself do it, the bigger your world gets in terms of Mm. creativity and in terms of what you have access to. So in drama therapy, we would call that your T space or not specifically drama therapy, but in developmental transformations, which is primarily what I practice, we call that your T space. So it's all of the things. It's almost, if you imagine like a comic book character thought bubble, it's all of the thoughts that are like floating around your head about different things in your life. So if you Mm. see a couch and you're like, that couch is Brown before you said the word Brown, you had a whole bunch of thoughts about like you could have said beige or tan or taupe. Like you had a whole bunch of thoughts about how you would describe the the couch before you settle on brown. And if you think about it, you can hear someone's tea space when they pause before they add like a descriptor of a qualifier. So if you're like, um, you know, I'm I'm looking at this couch and it feels brown, right? You just heard my tea space. So you heard me 
going into my brain and deciding what I wanted to say about the couch before I said it. And so um, I believe that as we're being creative, sometimes we really have to practice creativity as opposed to wait for creativity. And I found that that's such a powerful practice for me when I'm working with young people, because part of my job is to hear terrible things all the time and to make those things playable. And it's really, really hard. It's really hard and scary to play with things that you don't think you can play with. And mm. in trauma therapy and in developmental transformations, we are talking about how do I play with grief? How do I play with death? How do I play with sexual assault? How do I play with domestic violence? And I want to be clear when wow. I say the word play that I'm not saying this isn't mocking, that I'm not making right. fun of people with these things. I really mean how can I help loosen some of this trauma that gets locked in our bodies? And how can I do that using the dramatic medium? How can I have a dramatic conversation with another person or another group of individuals where all the time I'm just trying to pull little pieces of the dramatic medium, right? And so I'm seeing myself like I'm the lighting designer of this group or I'm the set designer of this group. How can I build the mood? How can I build the world? And what else do I have access to? So if we're, for example, if I'm playing with a dead body, let's say, for whatever reason I'm playing, I don't know why I am, but welcome to group. (laughs) Here we are. And we have this dead body and in the group, we're like, I don't know what to do with this body. I'm like, you know, people will say really like sort of T-space immediate things or like, oh, we're going to um, bury the body or we're going to hide the body. We're going to move the body, right? These are things that are kind of like obvious. And my job as a therapist is to pull in pieces that are slightly outside what we would be thinking about in order to get at like what really needs to be said. So that if someone's really struggling with grief, I might be like, oh, you know what? I have an urge to cuddle the dead body. Like I really, I just want to snuggle with him. Like he looks so sad and alone. Like who else wants to snuggle the body, right? And so for someone who's really struggling with grief or with like the passing of a loved one, that might be horrifying for them. And so how can I help people like titrate, you know? How can I help them come forward towards the idea? How can I help them step away from the idea? And it's really important that all of this is pretend, like there is no body in front. There's no body. I want to be clear. There are my office unless they're living and they're my children, you know, but how can I help people like, Oh, maybe we should make a garden out of the body. Let's cut open the body and start planting flowers in and see what grows. Or like, you know, actually I have this other dead body. Maybe we should put the body inside the body or, um, I'm going to make the body into a house and I'm going to live in the body because that seems comfortable to me, whatever. Mm. And it's my job to just keep trying. And so when I'm dealing with really, really scary things, really hard things, painful things, it's really hugely important that I see creativity as a practice and not as inspiration. Because if I'm waiting for inspiration to happen, then no one's going to get healed, right? The therapy will never occur Mm. because always waiting for me to be like, well, I don't know how I feel about body. So like, we're not going to play with it. And instead I bump up against the edge of like when creativity is hard all the time, every day. And I just have to constantly be like, what else, what else, what else, what else is in there? What else can I grab? What else can I try? I don't feel like it today, but we still have to talk about this dead body, you know? And so here, like, what are we going to do with this body? What else is around us? What else is in my T-space? How do I make my T-space bigger? Mm. How can I keep building character trees, right? So that when it gets hard, I can still keep going and I'm not paralyzed 
by fear or shame. And that's really like all of my job. In wow. A couple of minutes. Sorry. No, that was great. I'm curious if you could give a specific example of a time when you did something like that and there was a, a noticeable shift for a client. Oh, like man. just to, just to kind of wrap. Cause I feel like, okay, I think I have a clear picture of what it looks like for you to be in therapy, but what is the, like, how does that actually work? How does, how do you get from like, let's build, make a garden in this dead body to actual healing? You know, like totally. what's, what's the process that happens there? Wow. That's such a great question. Okay. Um, I'm ready. <laughs> so part of it really depends on why a person has come to see me, you know, and this sounds really silly, but really it's dependent on the contract that the person is sitting in front of me or we're in a group setting. And it's about what have we decided that we're going to work on together? Um, mm. Because that's really like, there are so many models of health. And so, you know, my question would be like, well, what does being healthy mean? How do I know when I did it? Um, and healthy looks different to different people. So part of it is like, before we even start, we have to have a very clear contract. If this is the work that we're doing, this is what you feel like is getting in the way of you, you know, being successful or whatever. Um, yeah. here's the, a, a basic little example. Um, a lot of my children have a lot of attachment wounds and essentially that means that their caregiver has in some way gone away. There's some in some way absent. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes by the time you get to the foster system, by the time you become 16 in the foster system, you've had a lot of caregivers who have gone away. Um, And that creates some deep, deep wounds that are really, really hard to overcome. And so I'm always playing with attachment. Always. I'm always Mm -hmm. playing with dear client. How do you feel about me? Can you handle the fact that I have an attachment to you that I care about you. Can you tolerate that? Can you manage that? How do you feel about it? Are you going to push me away? Are you going to come really, really close because maybe you don't understand about healthy boundaries between an adult and a child? Like, how are you going to manage what it means to be in a healthy relationship with an adult who cares for you? And that's a lot of the work that I'm doing. And so, um, I have a client who, when we first started working together, he was 13 years old and we literally played hide and seek which Mm. is really telling about his ability to handle someone caring for him, that he was actually running away and hiding from me. And so we had this whole game all over the building where I was constantly. And so what I would do is I would ask people like, Oh no, I don't see him. Even though he's standing right in front of me that I'm, I'm in, I'm creating more distance between him and me by making it clear that like, Oh, I don't, I can't actually see you. I'm looking for you, but I have no idea where you are where are you? And I would call his name, even though he was like in the room right in front of me. And I knew exactly where he was and he loved it. Hmm. He absolutely loved it. And so over time throughout the play, we would do all different kinds of play where like, um, he would have his phone in front of his face and then I would, um, I would be completely silent, but I would do things like I would toss like stuffed animals at him or I would like start, pretending like there would be like a marching band in my office of like, how can I, how can I um, help you manage being in close proximity to me? How can I help you to tolerate being my nearness? You know, how can I help you to tolerate, Oh, we're in the room, but I don't actually want to be in the room with you. So I'm going to put a phone in front of my face. Um, Then I started putting my phone in front of my face, which was very funny because he couldn't tolerate that at all. He hated it. He hated that. I wasn't, I wasn't the one (laughs) 
talking to him <laughs> anymore. And then I made him talk to me. He couldn't stand it. And I used to give him um, pretend hugs from really far away. I would like open my arms really wide and I'd be like, here's a hug for you. And um, he was like, ah, you're so weird. He would run away from me. He hated it. And we worked together for over a year. And on the last day of our final session, I opened my arms and I said, you know what to do. And he opens one arm, his left arm, and he offers me a pretend hug back. And then Mm. he ran away. And so that's like, it's a little example. It's not a dramatic example. Yeah thinking about like their, you know, like putting a garden in the body. Um, but it's a little example of how like playing with relationship, which was unbelievably challenging for him, eventually opened up enough space where he was like, I can handle the fact that you care for me and I can handle the fact that I can, I care for you. So I'm going to give you a hug back. Um, a, maybe a more dramatic example. Um, I'm thinking about a group where, um, everyone came into the group really agitated. They're really frustrated with their staff. And it's also interesting because a lot of adults are very afraid of child play. If it doesn't look like sanitized, like adults are really uncomfortable with children Mm. playing with, with scary things. People think that, Oh, if they play with it, then they're going to do it in real life, which is actually the opposite. Like the reason we're doing it in the play is so that they don't do it in real life. So um, they were, the kiddos came in and were super, super agitated. There was something going on. I don't remember, um, like with their staff and relationships and everyone was really, um, anxious and I could feel that everyone was anxious in the room. And so I was like, I was like, quiet everyone. And I'm like whispering and their eyes are like on me. And I was like, we're under attack. And so we decided everyone was also really hungry, which, you know, again, if we're talking about like noticing our bodies that they didn't notice they were hungry, but they were all like grumpy because they were so hungry. So we like stealth moved down the hallway. Like, you know, I was like leading a battalion and, you know, I'm like gesturing with my arms and I'm like, go, go, go. Like you go, go, let's go, let's go. You know, we're like, like we army crawled down the hallway to the kitchen where we like stealthily made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and then we became like tiny animals while we were nibbling our sandwiches and we're like, nom, 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 nom. and we're like eating. Um, <laughs> and then I also love this sounds like really silly. Um, it was, but it was also <laughs> therapeutic. And so then we start, um, I don't remember how we got back. Like, I don't remember what dramatic image we were inside of that helped us get back to the group room. And once we got back to the group room, then like pandemonium or what looked like pandemonium, ensued because there was an all out, um, like gun battle, like wild, wild west, like old school mm. style. We're like, pew, pew, you know, like everyone and all, like adults are really bothered by the fact that the children want to kill me, which is totally great. And it's, um, and I'm gauging, how do you want to kill me? Like, is that, is there distance in the death or is it really mm. close? Like, you know, do you want to like strangle me? Do you want to put a pillow over my face? Do you want to knife me? That's a close death. That's a death okay. where you feel me die. Like that's a really intimate death versus a super far away. Like I've got it. Like I'm a sniper and you can't, you don't even know where I am. You can't, you don't even see it coming. Like I'm really interested in what that looks like. And so the whole group is like, oh, we want to kill our staff, which is a really big deal because they were really struggling with their staff in their homeroom. And I was like, totally, it makes sense that you really want to kill me. Absolutely. And so I let them. I died over and over and over again, all these different times, kinds of dying. And then right at the end, I was like, 
I'm not going to die. You can't get rid of me, which is now I'm playing with what's real, right? What's real is like, you can't get rid of your staff. You can't change who your staff is or is not like, you're not in charge of that. And so I start taking my power back, which they loved. And so then I start like taking all of them hostage. And, um, you know, I'm like, I'm, I start doing like the kids thing where I'm like, I've got like an impenetrable, impenetrable vest. And so there's nothing you can do. My bullets bounce right off. You know, that's like the thing that the kids do when they're, they're playing and they want to control the room. Right. Yeah. So they're like, doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't affect me, which is essentially what I'm saying. And so then I did that for a while, but I was like, I don't care. I don't care what you do because like, you don't affect me. You don't matter to me. Right. And so as we're playing this game, I'm saying real life things, which is what they're thinking. Mm. They're thinking that their staff don't care about them. They're thinking that their staff, they, they don't matter their staff. So I'm just saying it out loud as we're like having this crazy gun battle and I refuse to die. And finally a kiddo grabs me and he goes, I matter. And he like knifes me in the neck. And of course I'm like, love, I love this. It's like, wow. So I've got like blood splurting out. It's fake blood. I just want to remind <laughs> And I'm like using my hands to show that it's like spraying all over everyone. And as I slowly die, cause I could see like, he wants me to let him matter to him. So I slowly die. Like I fall to my knees and I see him, he takes his arm and he licks the pretend blood off of his arm, which is so intimate, right? When groups like this happens a lot in groups, when they, when people start eating each other, when you want to consume, someone. <laughs> I know this sounds crazy, but when you want to consume someone, that's like a huge marker of intimacy because that tells you like, I want to take you in, right? I want you to be mine. They keep hmm. belonging in some way. And so I, in my head, I was like, yes. Like I was like, this is so good. I don't say any of this cause I'm slowly dying and I'm like gurgling. And I was like, the group is over. <laughs> Everyone stops and they sit down. And like, I was told later that they had like the best rest of the day that any of their staff had ever seen. And this wow. is just one group. This is just one opportunity for them to say real things where the, where they know that the adults in the room are not scared of them, that they can say, I want to kill you. And I'm like, do it. How are you going to kill me? What are you going to use? Let's go. You know, (laughs) as opposed to people being like, Oh my gosh, you should be like locked away forever. You're terrible. And instead I'm like, no way. Come on. Like, I'm like, what do you got? Like, I'm like, are we going to have a, are we going to have a laser battle? Is that what we're doing? And that's where that creativity, like even when it's hard, starts showing up because when they Mm. want to talk about real, you know, I'm not scared. It's not scary to me when a kid is like, I want to kill you. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go. Um, But it is scary when a kid is like, I want to talk about my dying mother. And I'm like, oh no, that's so sad. Like dying mothers. I'm like, that's where that creativity practice shows up. But like the Mm. whole, like, you know, this is a place where they can start like diffusing and imagine. So at this group, I just described, imagine if week after week, all the time kiddos have the opportunity to tell adults what's real. Like that's like, you know, you ask kind of like, uh, I feel like this is a roundabout answer to your question, but like, how do you know when the healings happen? Like when the healing is happening, like it's right there. It's where they get to tell adults what's real and they see adults listen. Mm. And then they're like, cool, we did it. That's awesome. I, I wish that that could happen all the time. <laughs> right? I'm like, parents, play with your kids. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really, it's like, and it's interesting because, I mean, you mostly work with adolescents, right? It's not like young children or is mm-hmm. it both? Oh, yeah. Mostly adolescents. Because I think adolescence is, that, is a time of life where we start expecting kids 
to sort of grow up and be adults and stop playing. Uh, But what you're doing is you're allowing them to still be kids totally within within a structured space. Yeah. We're giving them a container inside like where they can hold these parts of themselves that they don't want to let go of. I mean, this is a clear example. I have a basket full of stuffed things. They're not really, most of them are not animals. Like I have like a stuffed mushroom and like a stuffed (laughs) watermelon. I have like weird things and all of them, there are 20 year olds that come into my office and they'll comb through and they'll pick their favorite animal. They name them. They, and I, of course they all name them something different. So I have to remember like what each child is. <laughs> um, but seriously, they all, it doesn't matter how old they are. They will go in there. They will play with them. They will hold them while they're talking to me. I mean, these are 16, 17, 18, 19, 19 year old children who mm. like, you would be like, you know, you'd be like, oh, you're going to college and they still want to pick out their favorite stuffed animal in their therapist's office. Like these are real, they're babies. They're still children. Yeah. They still want to play. They just want it to be okay. And so they're not going to do it in a space where they think that their caregiver or someone else is going to make fun of them. So, you know, but they do it in my office because they know perfectly well that I'm probably going to argue with them that they took my favorite stuffed animal and that they have to give it back, (laughs) which is actually (laughs) me just testing how attached are you to this thing that you're holding? And are you going to show me Mm. that you have an attachment to something? Man. I mean, let's be real. 50 year old adults really just want to play. <laughs> We're just not very often given the space to, in which we are allowed to play. Totally. That's why old people golf. <laughs> I yes. mean, really like it's a very acceptable game, quote unquote. I mean, why, like we call it's a very acceptable pastime for yeah. you to do at any age. Like you know, people look for age appropriate ways of playing because, you know, pretending to be a ninja is not necessarily age appropriate given that I'm 31, but listen, I'm still committed to doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I literally, I just, on last Friday, I was in a workshop about using improv techniques for facilitation. And I was in a room full of adults, most of whom were probably in their forties, fifties, maybe sixties, uh, a lot of whom worked in like the government cause I'm in DC. Um, and these are not spaces that they get to be in often. And people were having so much fun. Good. Because <laughs> I feel like people need to do more of that. Yeah. I mean, we don't often get that opportunity. Okay. This is a fascinating conversation and I feel like I can talk to you about this for hours, but I, we oh. are, I know that you need to go, so I'm going to let you go. <laughs> but before we do that, Um, can you just share if people want to learn more about who you are and what you do and follow along and like hear about when your podcast is getting released, et cetera, et cetera, where can they find you? Cool. So www.therapyalter.com. That's my website. You might end up on a landing page, but if you read down, it will give you like, if you just scroll a little bit, it will Mm -hmm. give you all of my contact information. So it's still like the website is live. It's still functional. It's just not as attractive as I would like it to be. So therapyaltered.com. Um, I think emailing me is also a really great way of finding me. Rebecca one B two C's dot Davis D A V is in Victor I S at me.com. It's like the old school Mac mail. So it's M as in Mary E as in Evelyn.com. Um, on, on Instagram, uh, you can find therapy altered on Instagram. You can also find me at the mental athlete, which is where I kind of combine my mental health and fitness careers into one mm-hmm. place. Um, yeah, that really feels like it. I have a pretty small web and social media presence. I'm working to 
I'm working to grow it, but really, um, I am mostly just interested in, I really want to hear from people who are excited about what I'm talking about either personally for themselves or they want to learn how to share what I'm saying to other people. Like that's really what I'm most excited about is like teaching, facilitating workshops, educating. I'll be guest lecturing at Portland state university coming up in a couple of weeks. Awesome. If you're in the Portland area and you're interested in, um, I do like trauma informed workshops. I work with, um, organizations, large and small. I work with individuals. Um, but that's really what I'm most excited about is like getting the word out about how we can take ourselves a little yeah. less seriously and like really heal ourselves. So if anyone's look any of that, like, please come and find me in the world because yes. I'm ready. And your podcast is going to be called say more about that. Yes. And you anticipate that it will be launched in like mid February. Yeah. That's what I'm going cool. for. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. It's been fabulous chatting with you. It's so wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a delight. I could do this all day. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and make sure you tell your friends to come listen. And remember, we'll be back with another episode next Monday.